a friend. On today's creativity chat, we have the lovely Emily Diana Ruth, and we're going to be talking about how you're always influencing someone, even if you don't realize it. I first found out about Emily when I watched her YouTube channel back in the day, like nine or so years ago. Um, and I just thought it was really cool that you were doing essentially like something that I thought, oh, there are other people in the world that have dreams of making films and showing the behind the scenes and the process of it instead of just like the final project. I wanted to know what made you start sharing videos online? I remember when I discovered YouTube, not just like the YouTube where you go to find like silly videos. I guess it was essentially like the nerd fighter community that I had sort of discovered. When, when I discovered that I was, I had just graduated from university where I studied film production and screenwriting. And I, I ended up moving in with my grandparents who lived in a town where I was volunteering for a film festival. I remember looking forward to the, the summer because I knew they didn't have the internet and I was excited to be free of the internet and to just read and just like enjoy the, the scenery. It's like very beautiful, you know, they lived on a lake. Uh, and it was the summer, but then I went and they, they had gotten internet, um, oh. I think potentially because they <laughs> knew coming. I was coming. So, yeah, so that was completely foiled. Um, but instead I ended up discovering this like world of YouTube vlogging, I guess, and people building a community and supporting each other, um, and just like making whatever they wanted. And I remember I was watching that stuff for a while and feeling, I guess, less alone. Like I was very much just on my own living with my, my older grandparents. So it became a nice sort of place to escape into. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, I started feeling like a voyeur. Like I felt like I was knowing so much without, you know, giving any of myself into the mix. So I was very shy and very embarrassed and didn't want anyone I knew to see my videos, but I started making you know, my little videos sort of as a means to contribute to that and to feel like I was part of something rather than just like from the outside looking in. And the other side of it was I was so used to creating stuff at school. Mm -hmm. um, and, and here I was graduating and, you know, having no way to really exercise my Creativity. creative muscles. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's hard to go from consistent projects and deadlines and then all of a sudden it, oh if I want to make something it's really on me right now to actually follow through and make it yeah definitely I mean I've always been a very type a student I did very well in high school and you know did decent in university as well but I, I really was one of those people who thrived on deadlines and you know expectations and there was something about leaving university where I just felt yeah really lost like I hadn't really had to develop that muscle of self-discipline and you know creating my own goals so I think yeah YouTube kind of helped with that in a way from the time you started which I went back to just like see years and I think it it said nine years so maybe you started 10 years ago or something like that <gasps> isn't that crazy <laughs> yeah it feels like a lot of time and no time mm -hmm. at the same time. Well, I think one of the one of the first videos that really struck me was this is where I grew up or where I grew up. I think that's the actual title. And I remember thinking, oh, 
Emily's from a small town too. She has dreams of <laughs> doing film and directing. It's possible. Obviously, you had no idea that there was someone in Georgia watching you and had similar dreams, but it was just so reassuring to find someone that also was a few years older doing it. When The Water's Fine came out, I remember being so excited for you because I'm like, she's making a film. <laughs> you had Jamie, uh, Jamie Miller. I think that's her last name. And I just thought, wow, that's so cool. They have they have each other and they're able to make something but then they're also showing the behind the scenes process you were on one of the were you on kickstarter uh indiegogo, indiegogo. okay I, yeah. I i contributed to that and so i ended up getting like oh my gosh. i ended up getting the final project yeah. what compelled you to show the process i think when i did it that time because i've done it for other projects now as well but when i did it for that project I mean, when I made the first video, it was very much like, a, I really want to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do this, mm -hmm. but I think if I make this video, I will have to do it because I'll be like accountable to these people who I've told I'm going to do this thing. When I started it, I, I didn't really have a, much of a plan. Mm -hmm. I knew what the story was that I was going to tell. I had no idea where the money was going to come from. Like I had been, I had applied to grants and um, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. but when I started, I wasn't intending to do crowdfunding. I think it was sort of like a, I guess this is the only way it's going to happen kind of thing. And then you finished it. That's always something to celebrate. You ended up moving to London, I guess, shortly after that? Or was it like a few years after that? No, I think it was shortly after that. Because I remember like my last visit to Toronto before I was going to fly. And I was, you know, working with a sound designer and I was, you know, doing color correction. I was trying to like tie up all the missing yeah. pieces. And I remember being very stressed and very, why did I make this all happen at the same time? <laughs> why did I move while trying to finish a film? Be because there was no real deadline for The Water's Fine, whereas like with other films, I had school to be like, this has to be in on time. It's an assignment. I, I learned that I really, I really uh, dilly-dally in post-production because I get, I get very self-conscious. And honestly, once I shoot a project, it takes me a long time to, to get the guts to look at the footage and to you know make any notes. And I, I am always avoiding it. Even when I don't realize I'm procrastinating, I am still somehow procrastinating. So that's something to this day I struggle with. So I'm trying to, that was sort of my first realization that like, oh, I have a problem with this, don't I? What do you think it is that holds you back from wanting to dive into what was shot? I think that before you shoot anything and when it's, when you have a script and when you have all the plans in place, your film is still, it could be anything. It could be, it could be Oscar worthy. It could be horrible. Like it, there's just all these different versions of how it could work out. Once you've shot it, that world of possibilities narrows quite a lot and so I find that going into the edit being like this is what we have you know we're not going to reshoot anything we have to figure this out with what we have that's really daunting because it can be disappointing other filmmakers will know this that a rough cut is usually pretty painful to watch that's very natural <laughs> doesn't mean your film's gonna suck but it can be uh very scary to be confronted with your rough cut. So I'm just trying to learn like a rough cut. A bad rough cut is fine. Every every great film probably has a terrible rough cut. You're harder on your own stuff anyway as well. How do you think 
your craft and the way that you direct has changed based on like geographical location. When you were first in Canada and you were making a water spine to when you moved to London, and I'm not I'm not sure where cold was shot, but there's certain influences from different cities that have like you've maybe not really thought about but have added into. Well, kind of. I mean, one thing that I've definitely realized and something I realized when I was in London is that I find it really hard to write for a place that I don't intimately know. And even though I was in London for like five years, I never knew how to write a project in London. I think the whole time I was there, I maybe wrote one thing that, you know, could have potentially been shot in the UK, but it was based on you know, somebody from North America coming over and relocating. Like I couldn't get my brain inside a British person's head because I don't know, I don't know what that's like. I don't know what, um, what growing up there is like. And I've definitely, like a, a lot of my work is super influenced by place, like the water's fine, that, you know, that kind of like lakeside place is, is where I, you know, grew up with my grandparents. Like that was sort of where I spent, you know, every other weekend or something in the summer. Um, We drive up, it wasn't close. We drive like five hours up to be there. Um, And to this day, like I'm very attached to that, that place. Um, So it made sense. Um, that I was going to shoot something there. And then Cold, the short film, actually, oh. I did shoot in my ho- hometown. Wow. Does that feel yeah, weird? Like, so, what does that feel like to shoot something in your hometown? It's great if you are able to tap into the resources you have. So I very much tapped into those resources. We did have funding for that film, but it still required a lot of, you know, favors and cutting corners. So, you know, one of the corners we cut was, you know, the crew was put up in my mom's house and my neighbor's house and my friend's house and my aunt's house. And uh, (laughs) one of the houses we shot in, we ended up getting through uh, one of my relatives uh, works in real estate. So they were able to help us find like houses that weren't being lived in at the moment. We definitely used that to our advantage of filming where I'm from. Definitely had like the the local newspaper write a little article about us, which is quite quite something. Did you cut out the article and laminate it? No, I'm always so embarrassed about that kind of thing. Okay. Like it's it's lovely, and I and I think it's you know it's nice that like my parents can have that stuff as something to feel like my my child is doing something real. <laughs> but for me, I've always felt that there's you know my my work or my art or whatever you want to call it. And then there's me, like the the human, the personality, yeah. and I don't, I don't necessarily like the idea. They always have to intermingle. I like my work to speak for itself. I don't want to have to always speak for my art. I understand that. I'm usually trying to say something through my films, and even when I'm making it, I might not really know what I'm trying to say. I can't necessarily articulate it verbally, and sometimes it takes until the film is done before I'm like, oh, that's what I was oh, wow. going through. What I was trying to say. The reason I'm saying it through a film is because I don't know how to say it in conversation. Yes. <laughs> um, I find that statement to be relatable. I really struggle with verbally articulating 
so many things and I've I've been trying to work on it personally. I think we're probably similar in that we I'm just I'm just not a good speaker and I I always worry that it makes me seem like not intelligent mm. and I always dread doing something like a podcast is fine but like I dread having to speak in public. Wow. Not cuz I'm like nervous about being in public but I just the pressure of of saying something articulately is just too much for me. <laughs> Which is so interesting. I feel like you've always, that's, I've always been drawn to like the calmness of your delivery and the words that you've said to me have always been very articulate. Well, thank yeah. you. At least, at least sometimes it must be just a different way of like processing my thoughts and, and how they come out verbally is not necessarily the same as somebody else. I remember one of my friends once was, we were talking about how we speak and how we know what we're going to say and how we, you know, if we think about it first or say it first in our heads and then say it. And she was saying that she sort of says it kind of like quickly in her head in this way where it's like all mushed together and says it out loud. And I'm like, I don't think ahead at all. Yeah. <laughs> like when I'm, when I'm saying a word, it's popped into my brain. It's coming out of my mouth, which would be really awful if I was you know, a very hateful person and had a lot of terrible things to say because yeah. I feel like I would put my foot in my mouth a lot. I think I've arrived at a point in my life though where if I'm with a group of people and if I'm questioning it at all, if I want to speak, I just won't. Some people like like to just like talk and, and you know, talk things out and hear, hear their own voices yes. or whatever. And I, and I don't, Me so either. I'd much rather like, you know, speak when I really have something to say, but I'm not going to be the one like fighting to get a word in edgewise in a group of people. Yeah. I'm like that too. So you said you went to school for film production. When you started, did you know you wanted to get into directing or were there other facets that piqued your interest? When I applied, I had only known like making my own things, like writing and directing and producing. Like I wouldn't even use those words. It would just be like, I am making this project. So when I started the program, I was open-minded and I feel like that was something that was maybe even like impressed upon me in the interview was that, you know, they like people to go in and like give everything a try and not everyone can be a director and you know, that kind of thing. There's lots of different facets of filmmaking which, you know, I didn't really understand at the time. I wouldn't have known how involved a producer could get in the creative process or your cinematographer or probably thought an assistant director was somebody who kind of like, you know, helps the director actually direct when they kind of have a totally different set of duties. So I would say that I didn't really think I was going to be a director because there was one project where I pitched a script and when it was chosen to get like to be one of the projects, I I got someone else to direct it. And I came on as more of a producer, a very involved producer. Like I feel like I barely thought about it. Like it just seemed natural. Like it wasn't going to be me yeah. to do that. And I think that happens a lot, well, especially to anyone who isn't a straight white man. I think that happens to a lot of directors who are in the other category mm -hmm. and people who are also maybe like a little bit more shy or soft-spoken or emotional it's just not like that prototype of the director that you're used to mm -hmm. and then the way I ended up getting into it was I was very into shooting and producing in my school there were different streams of directing you could get into so there was like documentary oh, okay. fiction 
and experimental. And from the get-go, I was never going to apply to fiction because you had to fund your own project. Oh. And people were, yeah, people were spending like at least $6,000, maybe like 10000 maybe even more on these projects, like in addition school, to our yeah. tuition, which was already more expensive than other programs just because there's so much like equipment involved. I, I never even thought about it. I ended up applying for like the experimental stream where I was able to sort of go back into this like, you know, I'm making this film. This is, I'm just going to do every part of it, make something small, make something affordable and really say something with it. Did that through university directing in that, in that sense. It's interesting that you say you want to say something. And then you also said that you sometimes don't know what it is that you do want to say. But I think the fact that, you know, you do want to say something is really special because I think there's a lot of noise in, in like filmmaking or even just in all types of art yeah there's definitely a lot of empty art out there at least it feels empty mm. whether it is or not I'm not sure it could just be that we're not we're not re- reading into it the way the artist wanted us to the thing is this filmmaking has this really like you know sexy vision of like what filmmaking can be like You're wearing a leather jacket dark sunglasses sitting in a chair and it feels like a very like powerful position. You see a lot of directors, they're very confident, they're making good money. I just think it maybe, maybe people get into it thinking it's gonna be that a little bit more. Well, tell us what it is. Filmmaking is so scrappy. Even if you're making something with a good budget, it still continues to be so scrappy. When it comes down to it, the actual shoot doesn't really change that much depending on how much money is in the budget. Usually when you're actually like, in the nitty gritty of shooting a scene, doesn't matter if you're shooting this for free or with multi-million dollars, what you're doing is the same and you can be put in the weirdest positions. <laughs> like the number of times I've been like squished into like the trunk of a car or <laughs> getting things done by any means necessary and just feeling like this is not glamorous <laughs> at all. Maybe once you're a commercial director or once you're like a really big director maybe, but I had the opportunity to see Catherine Hardwick directing, um, not this past summer, but the summer before. And it was so comforting to see her working and knowing that like what I'm doing is not all that different and that she's still getting her hands dirty and she's part of this big team. It was nice to see. Who are some of your influences that maybe you haven't met yet? Whether just like in life or creatively. I mean, there's a few filmmakers who part of me wants to meet them, but the other part of me would probably shrivel if I was rejected by them. So I'm also like not sure. I do feel like being part of YouTube for like a hot second and and getting to be part of that sort of invited to VidCon. You're like, you get to go to the, the exclusive party because I got to have my like 15 minutes of that, I think it's just made me have like a better understanding of what fame is Mm -hmm. because I got to see it on this like smaller scale plane. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely made me like more wary about fame. And also it's made me not put people on pedestals as Mm -hmm. much. And also, yeah, it makes me afraid to be um, jilted by (laughs) somebody who I really admire i mean i'm really drawn to female filmmakers yeah, that's why i was drawn to you i remember having like the moment of realization that i could get into film and that i could be a filmmaker was when i watched the virgin suicides for the first of probably like 75 times because there was just something so different about it 
there was like an inherent femininity. There was just a softness like this. That was like a real turning point for me Mm. where I was like, oh, I had no idea. So I mean, yeah, Sofia Coppola, you know, not every movie she makes is is the virgin suicides, but it was definitely something that really had an effect on me. And then I think since then, Kelly Reichardt has been an inspiration because she really feels like an independent artist. What? I need like to look she, her up. What has she made? So probably her most well-known film is Meek's Cutoff, okay. but she also makes films. She's made films um, with Michelle Williams a few times, I think. Okay. Wendy and Lucy is one, River of Grass, Certain Women was a big one that came out a couple of years ago. She's just somebody who really gets into the minutiae of like the town on where she's filming. She always says that she'll stay there for a while and she's writing and she'll like listen to the radio, the local radio and, you know, go to the restaurants and really like imbue herself in the town. And her films are slow. And I feel like slow is a bad word in the film world, but I love a slow movie. Everything is still so charged, I find. Mm. I just watched Kajillionaire the other day, which blew my mind, Miranda July. For me, what inspires me the most is not necessarily these people who have already like in my head kind of made it, but the people who are maybe just a couple of steps ahead of me, which... Like reminds me of something you said earlier about how when you were watching me on YouTube, it wasn't like I was a fully developed filmmaker and human being and you weren't. It was that I was just a few steps ahead of you. And I feel like that stuff, I don't know what term that could be, but like these kind of like micro mentorship kind of things where you can see people just a couple steps ahead of you. I think that's maybe even more important than looking up to these these icons because then you're like, how'd you get there? The path to how they got there is so unclear at that point. It can feel kind of like, how, how am I going to do it? I like that. Micro mentors. I've never heard that. I think you just made a new term. Even just through, you know, how you know me and that, you know, there's lots of um, female filmmakers who have reached out to me in the past and said, you inspired me to go to film school. You inspired me to like make my first film, all this stuff. And which just to me seems crazy because all these people who are looking up to me, they're not below me. They're really like my peers. Mm -hmm. It's just like really testament to how, how much that can help people. Just seeing other people doing the same thing and sharing not necessarily just the highs, but also the lows. I'm always trying to find those people for me, I think, like who's, who's doing well in a way that the two of us can still kind of connect and be on the same page. Within the past nine years, it doesn't seem like you've lost that humility that you possess when you first started YouTube. I encourage you to just like keep that up because <laughs> I don't know, I feel like it things could get to people's heads and what I'm hearing, it doesn't seem like it has gotten to yours. I'm still really excited for all of your dreams and even if, <laughs> even if it's like a year or two or... 20 if I ever see you do something I will be watching it because like you said before I even knew I needed a micro mentor you were one of mine so I'm super appreciative <laughs> that you would chat with me yeah of course this is nice I will link all of her stuff in the show notes her website her Instagram account as you could tell she's a really lovely human I think you will enjoy her work so thank you for listening I hope you have a lovely rest of the day Bye.